Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Wednesday morning. And as promised, joining me now, Great Scott Show is uh, kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke about myself because I'm not great. But this Scott is great. There was a lot of Scots at the Masters this year. Scotty Scheffler took home a green jacket. And the guy that was on the bag, Ted Scott, his caddy, a native of Lafayette, he knows the course at Augusta well, and he joins us now. Good morning, Ted. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well, man. It's a beautiful day in South Louisiana, so I'm thankful for that. Yeah, man. So uh, what's uh, what's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm not trivial, so I couldn't even tell you the name of any song. Um, if you played one, I could tell you if I like it or not, but uh, I know who the Beastie Boys are. Probably, I don't even this might show, show how bad I am. Do they sing a song? Where it says, here's a little story I'd like to tell. Yeah, that's Paul Revere. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I like it. There you go. See? About three bad that's brothers probably. you know so well. Good. All right, that yeah, works. That's probably one that I know, so we'll just go with that one. All right, we'll roll with uh, we'll roll with Paul Revere. Um, Ted, first off, man, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you've been asked about this a lot, so I apologize beforehand, but I have to ask, and it's not golf-related, foosball. I mean, you were a world foosball champion back in 94. Is that is everything from what I've read? Is this accurate? Yeah, and what's even more interesting, the best player in Lafayette, Louisiana, is a guy by the name of Terry Rue. He was my partner. He's won multiple world championships, and even better than that, his wife has won a world championship, and his daughter won championships. Um, so they're a family from Crowley. He's a nurse anesthetist in Lafayette, and he – He's the man, but even crazier is there's, I think, 12 world champions from Lafayette alone in foosball. So it's a foosball mecca. My God. I, you see, I, it, when, I, when I read that about you, I went and uh, I, just a couple weeks ago, I went on YouTube and I pulled up, you know, foosball world championship and there was some intense finish at the tornado foosball. I was like, God, this is intense. I, I was getting nervous watching it. <laughs> this is intense. <laughs> like, if if someone's just getting started, what is the key to being an elite foosball player? I would say first is technique. You know, um, the guy that taught us, Harry Milliman, uh, he's a local man. We learned at Max's Pool Hall. He used to run the tournaments over there. And, uh, you know, right away when I saw the game, it looked fun. And I just said, hey, is there someone that could teach me this? And I would say it took me about six months of practicing several hours a day to, to really get good at the technique. So it's a pretty simple technique not like golf you know golf's very difficult um the technique is simple but then the experience and the the reaction time and the strategy is is kind of the next step that's difficult like anything right it takes ten thousand hours or more to master it how many hours do you think you spent on a foosball table in your younger days enough to go to college for two and a half years and not get a not get a passing grade so i spent all of my time <laughs> at the the quarter till, which is above Mr. Cook on campus. Oh yeah, uh, playing foosball and skipping class. So my dad wasn't happy about that. I remember a quarter till, like I was, I was, you know, I'm younger than you, but I remember driving by it one day with my mom, and I just saw the arcades and everything, and I was like, I want to be there. I just, I want to go up there. I want to be there. I mean, that's 
That's some throwbacks there. Plus Mr. Cook, which I, I like the reference there as well. Did you like what was the go to at Mr. Cook? What was the if if Ted Scott's frequenting Mr. Cook back in the day, did you have like a, a favorite meal you would hit up? No, we skipped Mr. Cook and went straight upstairs to foosball. So I didn't eat much. That's probably why I wasted a little. <laughs> he just played foosball. And I love it. So the last thing on foosball, when was the last time you uh do you, I mean, do you still do it in your spare time or is it a thing of the past? No, I enjoy it. Um, you know, it's just something I don't have a lot of time for. I actually have a table, which I never had back when I played, and, and uh, you know, I actually have a table now. So if I can get somebody over here to play, it's pretty fun. But they actually had a big tournament uh, probably three about three or four months ago in Lafayette, and I went to see all my old friends, and they beat up on me pretty bad. You know, I was rusty, and uh, they're all way better than me now. So I'm a has-been. Well, you're not a has-been in the golf world. Um, you're pretty well-known there, and you've been on the bag for a number of the biggest moments in, in the sport, most recently at Augusta when, uh, when Scotty Scheffler won. But um, your backstory on being a caddy, how did, that, how did that come to be? Was it something that you knew right away, all right, I want to pursue this, or did it, did it kind of just happen organically over time, and suddenly you're like, wow, here I am? Yeah, so I went to McNeese to play golf. One semester, they redshirted me. I came home. I was going to walk on UL my sophomore year. I got to go ahead to do that, and I quit playing golf because I got into foosball for three years. Didn't play golf, actually, after that. Um, Then after college, um, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Started playing golf again and started teaching golf, and I turned pro in 99 to teach golf because a lot of my friends wanted me to help them with their game. And then during that year, I met a guy by the name of Brian Miller, who owns Miller's Formals. You've probably driven by it many times. Um, and he said, dude, you're really good at golf. You should try to play. So he, he gave me money to go play. And I went out to Littreon to caddy for one week in, in March of 2000 because I have a philosophy. If you want to get better at something, you get around people who are better than you. And I thought, hey, here's a great opportunity to learn from people who are doing what I might be doing. And the guy uh, that picked me up was named Grant Waite, and he, I guess, liked what I did and asked me to do it again and then again. And then three months later, we battled Tiger Woods head-to-head at the Canadian Open. He hit what many people say is the best shot he's ever hit. He hit a six-iron out the bunker over water to beat us by one. I was standing about 20 yards away, and I was like, man, this is really fun. And I uh, also realized how good these guys were and how I was nowhere near that good and thought, you know, I probably should go on the caddy side instead of playing because I don't think I'll ever be able to beat these dudes. Caddy Ted Scott, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. It's a great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather. Ted, when when you got into it back then, um, what talk about mastering something like you mastered foosball. What does it take to master the art of caddying? Yeah, well, you know, I was, a, like I said, a good golfer. Uh, I had 465s in competition so I could shoot some good scores, but I was a horrible caddy. As a matter of fact, my very first time caddying the first round, we stood on the 10th tee and my pro asked me how far it was to carry a, a bunker. And I didn't even have a yardage book and he freaked out and I had to sprint to the pro shop and get a yardage book. So, uh, you know, I was a total rookie. I didn't know anything about caddying, what to do. It, it's a, it's a pretty stressful job, uh, in a lot of ways, but it, it's a great job. Um, you know, and Grant Wade, I give him a lot of credit. He, he taught me, Along the way, you know, he, he had the patience to for me to caddy for him and also teach me, you know, what to look for, what to write down. And then after that, it's just experience. You know, you make mistakes and you try to learn from them, just like anything else. So if you want to get good at something, you find people that are better than you. And, you know, what better place than to be on the PGA Tour around the best players, caddies, and coaches in the world 
it's an incredible environment for learning and I love to learn anything. I, I'm a I'm a student of everything. I enjoy that stuff. And so for me, just asking great questions and listening to the best people in the world at what they do and try to learn from them. So, you know, that's how I, I went about doing it. As somebody that's not, I mean, I, I, I'm not a golf expert by any means. I mean, I host a sports radio show. I watch the majors, but I'm not a... I'm not an avid golfer where I'm following it week. These questions, if they're elementary, I, I apologize. But just out of curiosity, in the in the caddy world, is it a recruitment process? How do you move up, right? How do you? Do you I'm sure there's some loyalty involved. A lot of folks have read about your time with Bubba Watson and then how you got to Scotty Scheffler. But I'm, I guess, I'm more interested in sort of those early stages of how you move up and how you go from being on the bag from one golfer to another. Yeah, I think it's a lot like my partner, Terry Rue, in foosball. You know, we um, we were at Mr. Cook one day, and I didn't even know Terry, and I was looking for somebody to play with me that day, and I said, hey, you want to join me? And he said, sure. And, man, nobody could touch us, you know, like instant energy, uh, synergy, whatever the word you want. Chemistry. We just really gelled well together, and we went on to win three state championships and worlds pretty quickly after we started playing together. So I think, you know, player-caddy relationship is very similar there's not a school you go to to become a caddy. It's not, uh, well, I, you know, I have experience with this guy, so therefore I'm going to go forward and do well with this guy. It's not how it works. I mean, I could caddy for you, and we wouldn't be very good. So it really has nothing to do with me as a caddy. It has to do with the potential of the player and what kind of energy and what kind of, you know, I guess uh, knowledge can you bring to your player, if any. And if you can, then you can help them. And I think with Scotty, we just have good energy. So that, that was, you know, the biggest thing right away was we just have fun together. You know, he's, he's a fun personality, and we, we kind of see things alike. So, But um, as far as how do you become a caddy, I mean, it used to be a lot easier. You know, I, I went and joined the Corn Ferry Tour and right away got a job, and it was pretty simple back then. Now it's getting very difficult, you know, probably because more guys are making a living at it. In 2000, when I first started, I, I literally slept in my car and, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken had a, a barbecue chicken sandwich for two dollars, and I would eat those, you know, a couple times a day, just trying to survive. So, um, so it's changed a lot, and now, now that it's changed, you're getting educated people and a lot more uh, great golfers that are actually caddying. You know, like now, when I first started, guys were good at golf that caddied. Now it seems like every caddy's really good at golf. You know, so it's it's it, the dynamic is changing a lot. Ted Scott, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. Um... You mentioned Scotty Scheffler real quick, if if I could. Your time with Bubba Watson, um, what what did you learn most from those experiences from Bubba, uh, and and how did you guys both come to that decision when you just you kind of knew it was it was time for a change? It was from from what I've read, you know, it was all all good, all kosher. But what what led to that, and what did you learn from him? Yeah, well, you know. Many people that, that have seen Bubba play, including his peers, would say he's the most talented golfer in the world. You know, Bubba never practiced. He, he, he would go play golf, but he, he was never a guy that would go to the range. He would never even warm up until it was game day. So uh, just a super talent who struggled with the mind. And so for me, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to help him compete at his best. You know, as, as a caddy, you're just there to fill gaps, right? So whatever, whatever role you can play to try to help out, that's what you do. And so, um, you know, being around him, I learned a lot about, uh, about the game of golf, like the playing part of the game, because he's such a great player. You know, incredible instincts, incredible shot making, incredible talent, 
and it's very simple to him. So that, that helped me in my own game, you know, because I could overcomplicate it. You know, when you have a sport where you initiate the action, it gives you a lot of time to think. And some of us have uh, information constipation, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> um, so that was just with Bubba, just learning a lot, you know, about how to think different and try to help him do that. Um, as far as how we split, I mean, you know, basically 15 years together and, you know, Bubba not knowing what his future was. And, and I was kind of just asking myself, do I want to keep traveling? I, it was my 22nd year last year caddying on the PGA Tour. And uh, just asking myself, do I really want to keep doing this, talking with my family? You know, and uh, we just decided, you know, maybe to take a little break. And then whenever you get a young guy who's 15th in the world, uh, we're both, you know, Christian men, so we have the same belief system, who calls you up out of the blue and says, hey, you know, I didn't know if you're still wanting to caddy. You know, that was a decision that my family and I prayed about and decided to, to take that opportunity, you know, just, just because it was such a great opportunity. Um, but, yeah, Bubba and I are on great terms, and, uh, you know, he's a, he's a very good dude, and he still has a lot of good golf left in, in him if he really wants to play well. Being on the bag when someone wins at Augusta, describe that feeling for us. Yeah, you know, it's a pinch-yourself moment, probably, you know, like anything that you do that you, you kind of almost don't really see it happening, you know, uh, maybe like winning a Super Bowl or an NBA championship or whatever, you know, when you, when you win something that's the mecca of your sport, um, it, it's pretty surreal. And, and you kind of just go, did that really happen? Especially as a, as a young man watching golf with my grandfather and my dad growing up, you know, we watched the masters every year around Easter or on Easter. And it's something I never missed and love the tournament, the history and, you know, just being able to caddy there is pretty phenomenal. You know, just the guys that go the first time and the excitement on their face and I can't believe I'm here actually caddying in this tournament, you know, and then to actually win it is even more impressive. So yeah, it's, it's very incredible. It's it's a joy. It's a lot of fun. And I feel very blessed to even have, have been able to be able to do it one time, much less three times. Yeah. I mean, you're only one of five ever to be on the bag for three or more masters wins. What did what is your favorite thing about about Augusta and not even it doesn't even have to be about the the Masters tournament just Augusta in general? Well, it's a it's the most pristine golf course in the world. You know, you're not going to find a golf course in better shape. And then the beauty of of the azaleas, the dogwoods, and you know, just the foliage is is ridiculous. So when you get there, um, you're just like, wow, man, this is so pretty. You know, and then they run everything better than any organization. It's so well run. You know, they don't, there's every single thing you could think of is thought of. So it's just a really cool experience, you know, and uh, even, even the patrons are well behaved, um, you know, whereas you don't get that sometimes in all the tournaments, you can get a little rowdy crowd, which is, which is fine. Different, you know, different tournaments, you know, the Phoenix open is a different kind of fun, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a really, peaceful experience you know in a stressful environment it's, it's it's a lot of fun how how well do you know it having been a winner on it i'm you know folks say oh he's he obviously knows the course well he helped bubba he helped scotty how much does that experience at augusta benefit you every time you go yeah it, we have the benefit of going to a major you know that's the same every year whereas if you go to the Open Championship or the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship, the venue's changing every year. So if you go into a golf course year in and year out and it's the same golf course, 
then you can learn the nuances of, of where, you know, where to miss it, where to hit it. And having caddied there, I think 15 times, you know, man, if you're not learning, you're not trying, you know? And then the other thing is I stay with a guy by the name of Steve Kling. He's a local caddy, caddy there for years. And I pick his brain every day. Okay. The pin's going to be here. You know, tell me your thoughts and just kind of, you know, get some reassurance of what I'm thinking is proper and where to miss it and where to hit it and what you'd be looking for, you know, stuff like that. So, Experience can certainly, you know, play a huge role, but these pros, they're so good. They know where to hit it and where not to hit it. You know, when they're nervous, they just need a reassurance. And I think that's where if you have the experience and you know where to hit it, then they, they'll believe in your reassurance. But ultimately, you know, Bubba Watson was going to win the Masters without me, and so was Scotty Scheffler. These guys are so good at golf. You know, I, I don't take any credit for it. I think I just reassure what they already know how to do. Well, I, you know, I, I've heard them give you some credit. I know you're being modest. Uh, obviously, they are, you know, some of the best in the world. And Scotty ranked number one and and doing his thing. But um, what do you? <laughs> we hear a lot about the Masters dinner of champions, right? And they get to set the menu. What do what do the caddies get to eat? Like, what do you eat when you're in Augusta? And I'm sure it's not a barbecue sandwich from KFC like when you were just living out of your car from back in the day when you were playing foosball. I'm sure it's a little better now, right? Yeah, they've got a really nice uh, caddy building where we got them. And they, they have, you know, great food every day. It's it's southern food, which is I love. You know, you get grits in the morning for breakfast, and I don't even know where they get it from but or how they make it. But, uh, man, every year I'm like, I can't wait to go back and eat that bacon. It's unbelievable. It's so good. And uh, and then they have the usual uh, sandwiches that, that the patrons can buy, you know, if you want some of those those uh, traditional sandwiches, the Masters Club and pimento and cheese, you know, they, they've got that available too for us. So you can kind of pick what you like. And then they have a, a, you know, I don't know what they call a short order cook, you know, where you can get a burger and fries and things like that too. So they take great care of us at the tournament. I mean, it's, you know, very special time for us. I'd love to get a badge and experience it one day as a spectator. Uh, as a caddy, when you're on the bag for a Masters win, um, it, it, Correct me if I'm wrong. They send you a frame of your caddy uniform, like that you can display. Is that right? Um, you can request that. Uh, you know, usually what we take home is the flag, and and you can request the if you if you're a winner, you can request the you know the uniform that we wear. Is that something you've ever done, or you you, you pass on that? Yeah, actually, I have. I, I have requested it. So you know, it's something just kind of cool piece of memorabilia so certainly yeah no that i i would i would request it too where i guess where i'm going with this where do you have it on display do you have like a man cave like where does it go yeah i have a i actually have been coaching golf um you know since 99 and, and i have a building at my house where i where i've coached um, i have an indoor simulator and a recreational building where my kids and family we can have a get togethers and things like that and i have some stuff up on display there and then some stuff inside my house in our quote-unquote office you know place where we have our computer but i really i haven't i'm kind of a not diligent person i have a lot of cool ideas but i just haven't spent the time to put all that stuff up yet but uh yeah i've got a lot of neat memorabilia over the years from rider cups and wins and things like that so um so yeah one one day when things slow down maybe i'll put all that stuff up on display my last question in terms of, of being on the bag for big moments because it's the masters it draws a lot of attention uh, what outside of moments at Augusta? What's what's been the biggest moment for you as a caddy that wasn't in Augusta? Yeah, I think the 
the coolest thing I got to do was uh, the 2016 uh, Ryder Cup. Bubba Watson was seventh in the world and didn't qualify, and uh, he actually got picked um, to be a captain, not a pick to play in the tournament, which was, you know, tough. And, and they said, hey, would you still want to come and be a captain? And he said, absolutely. And uh, usually only the, the, the captain's caddy comes to the tournament to serve as, as caddy captain. And in uh, this particular one, Bubba was an assistant captain, and uh, all the caddies were saying, hey, we really want Teddy to come with you. So I got to go as an assistant caddy captain, and that was uh, really special to go and, and be behind the scenes and riding around in a golf cart and just serving my fellow caddies and, and Bubba serving his fellow PGA Tour players on the Ryder Cup team. And uh, that was that was spectacular. So that was an incredible moment that I'll never forget. Where was it that year? It was at Hazel Team. Okay. What's your, uh, what's your favorite course that you've ever been to? Uh, well, my favorite my favorite golf course that we play on the regular tour is Riviera. I love Riviera. Every year, it's just awesome, man. It's such a great course. Um, you know, I've been to St. Andrews, which is where the Open is this year. That's such a cool place to go to because it's the home of golf, as they call it, and just the tradition. It's kind of like Augusta in the sense that you've seen enough Open Championships there that it feels like home. It feels like the Open should be played there. And then there's a place called Gotemba in Japan that we played, um, been there a few times, and it's it feels like Augusta. It's so pure and amazing, and Mount Fuji is, you know, probably five or six holes you hit towards Mount Fuji, and, man, that is just an incredible sight to see. So those are some of the most memorable places that I, you know, that I like to go to. This has been awesome. Ted Scott has been our guest. Caddy, Lafayette native and resident and uh, on the bag for some of golf's biggest moments, including most recently at Augusta last month with – Scotty Scheffler, uh, you know, I, 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 I like some of the things you said about Scotty and him, you know, his family and, and being a family man and you guys sharing the same, uh, you know, faith and moral compass. I just, I, I knew Scotty's wife's name, Meredith, just because Jim Nance was laying it on thick. I mean, he was really trying to get Scotty emotional after the win. Whenever, whenever Jim just decides he's going for it, he's like, you know, it's all family here, Scotty. And that moment you share with Meredith, it's a tight knit group to have them. He's building it up big time. And of course, Scotty said all everything he said was wonderful, but he wasn't, he wasn't tearing up, man. Like what, what, what does it take for Jim to just get a, a, a little tear from Scotty? Is it just not going to happen? Well, you know, he cried all morning from the stress that, uh, that leading up to that, you know, to that win. So okay. I think he was emotionally spent and that's, that's pretty much true. You know, you, um, sometimes you go through so much emotion that you're flat and, uh, at the end of a big tournament like that, you know, all day long. And, and I think what well, he had the lead starting on Friday. So he slept on the lead on Saturday, had to wait all Saturday morning, then had the lead Saturday, had to wait. So that's a, that's a long time, you know, it's a lot of emotion to go through and uh, his stomach hurt for two days. You know, he was emotional for two days. And then after you win, um, you know, you go, you get pulled 20 directions. You got to go here. You got to go there. You got to do this interview. You got to say hi here. You got the ceremony. So I think um, he probably didn't have much emotion left. You know, uh, that's probably why he didn't get teary eyed because he's actually a very emotional guy. He cries a lot. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Just there's nothing left, man. I it, it it yes, I can imagine the exhaustion level, 
and uh, what a great moment it was. Uh, and I know a lot of folks here, we were talking, rooting for Scotty Scheffler. And part of it was the connection um, to Lafayette and you being his caddy, but he's got such a bright future. And, you know, you were you were content to, to go into coaching and maybe start the next phase of your life. He gives you a call. You're back on the bag. Another big moment. Do you have a, an idea of maybe when you want to get out? Is it more of just a day-to-day when you know you know, listen to God? How do you approach your future as a caddy, Ted? Yeah, well, you know, number one, the terms that we agreed upon when I when I met with Scotty was, um, you know, that my family, my wife and my kids have the key to turn off this business anytime they want, and that's how I've always approached it. So if there's ever a time where my family wants me home, then they're going to have me home. And uh, and it, it was their idea to send me back out on the road. So I don't know what that says about me. You know, I left the decision <laughs> to go work for Scotty with them, and, uh, and they all, after two weeks of prayer, said, we think you should do it. So maybe they don't want me around here. But uh, but anyway, uh, and then, you know, obviously, if God leads me to do something else in my life, I'm definitely going to pursue that. You know, I, I've found in my own personal walk that if I, if I follow God's way, I'm much more content than if I try to follow my own way. So, um, so those two things are my driving factors. And it's really cool to see the mentality that Scotty has is very similar. And he was very open to that and and understanding. And, uh, you know, whenever he gave me the, the, the job, it was kind of a, a little bit of a trial anyway. So, um, you know, I think we've passed the test that we could work well together and we'll see where it takes us. Well, the chemistry is there. Uh, you can follow Ted on Instagram. A lot of good stuff there. Uh, I enjoy it. It is at J Ted Scott. Uh, I don't think you're on Twitter. Just in case, let me ask though: if, uh, Do you do Twitter? Or is it mainly just IG? I got kicked off of Twitter a couple months ago. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I got canceled. What? So, oh man, yeah, I, I was looking for you on there. All right, all right. Well, Instagram, it is yeah, then. pretty funny. The same, the same handle. I got, I got canceled. All my friends were like, how did you get canceled? Because I try to be positive, and and uh, I guess whoever, whoever you know, saw my little funny joke that I thought was funny, they didn't like it, and they kicked me off. So, well, well, see, you know, th- that actually leads me to my final question, Ted, because you appear to be a guy that likes to keep it loose at times on on the greens, on the course when it, you know, when you you know like you know who you're caddying for right when you need to loosen them up when you need to get them to relax whatever it's that chemistry as you said from what i've read you you like to you like to cut up make some jokes here and there and i'm sure you've made some guys laugh while they're on the course over the you know over over several days of of competing at the highest level my question is when <laughs> there has to be a moment from your career that you remember where you might have read the room wrong like maybe you Maybe you made the joke, and then right after you're like, "Okay, that's not that's not what you need right now." I'm sorry about that. What, what? Just give me an example of maybe when that happened. You know what? I, like I said, first of all, I'm not trivial, so I don't really remember much uh, from the past. Unfortunately, I can't remember small details. But uh, but my mom, you know, I've been a clown my whole life, and my mom always told me, you know, there's a time to joke and there's a time not to. So I have a pretty good radar for when to be joking and when not to be joking. And I also don't, I don't participate in crude humor. So none of my jokes would be something that would be offensive to the masses. You know, people aren't going to be like, God, that guy's just vulgar. Sure. You know, it's not, it's not my way. So uh, as a matter of fact, whenever I got with Scotty, I said, listen, there's a few things that I'm, that I'm concerned you might not like. Number one, I love to tell dad jokes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you can't handle dad jokes all day, you probably don't want me caddying for you, you know, and they're, and they're not good. My kids call them bad jokes. So, 
so he was like, okay, I'm fine with that. Uh, so anyway, that's the kind of right. dumb stuff that I do. But I don't think any of it would be offensive. No, just just rolling with the dad jokes. It's just you know being able to read the room. My mom and dad both told me the same thing, right? They said, Scott, there's there's a time and a place, and unfortunately, uh, even you know in my 40s, I still don't always know exactly <laughs> when is a good or a, or a bad time. What do you call a fish wearing a bow tie, uh, Ted? Uh, I don't know. Sophisticated. So you can try that one out and see how it rolls. Hey, there you go. See, you're right up my alley. I like it. (laughs) All right. Um, Ted, man, this has been great. I really appreciate you making the time. Uh, It's really cool, you know, having somebody here in Lafayette that has been, you know, part of golf. It also happens to just be a former foosball world champion. But you're welcome on the show anytime, man. Uh, All the best to you and your family. Continued success. And look forward to maybe chatting uh, chatting with you again in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Scott. Talk to you soon, buddy.